0: Do you, do you believe in alternate universes? You are, you are listening, listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink.
1: Everything
0: is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. <laughs> do delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Schinder, your host, as always. Back with another episode of Delayed Replay, where we talk about movies. And it's available on channel 1138, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I feel like I rarely say where this is available, so that's why I'm like kind of tripping over myself saying where <laughs> it's available. But yeah, on this episode, talking Top Gun Maverick, which came out in June, and with me to talk about it is Vinny Tangerlini.
1: Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Not
0: much. How are you feeling today,
1: man? I'm feeling pretty good, man. I watched uh, I watched both movies last night. I watched OG and uh, Top Gun 2, so I'm ready to chat.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, people <laughs> I know are like still going to see this and... Yeah, we'll get into like what we think about it. So I guess first we'll start off with like our experiences with the first film. So, well, this is a little peek behind the scenes, but like when I was like trying to figure out who to have on this episode, I made this post where I was like, who on my friends list is a really big Top Gun fan or something like that? And I think you were like the first person to respond with like me and so I was like, Oh yes, this is gonna be fun
1: <laughs> That sounds right. I love Top Gun <laughs> for no good reason. It's one of those movies that's like so bad it's good, but I just love the like every dude is sweaty and flirting with every other dude the whole movie <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like someone wrote uh I said this to someone last night, but it's like someone wrote sort of like weird Navy pilot fan fiction <laughs> and then submitted it but made subtle tweaks so that uh movie producers were like, oh, this is just a good movie. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah.
0: yeah, so my experience with the first one is kinda of limited. Like I was trying to look up when the first time I watched it ever was and apparently in March of twenty eleven I just like Wrote up a post where I was just like Top Gun with an (laughs) explanation point at the end. (laughs) So, like, that was the first time I watched it, and I didn't watch it again until like this year, like before watching Maverick. Something I realized the second time watching this is that, like, much of the movie I wouldn't enjoy very much without the music. Like, a lot of what happens in the first half or so is just kind of slice of life type of stuff until you get to, like, the, what happens with Goose, and then it gets, like, more interesting to me anyway, so...
1: Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about, because, like, Top Gun is considered a classic, and, like, I looked up the, like, Rotten Tomatoes consensus, and I was kind of surprised, but also not, to see that, like, the the audience score was, like, 83, and the critic score was... 54, and <laughs> like, I I can kind of understand where the critics are coming from because, like, like, to me anyway, it feels like not a lot happens in some of it, and it, it kind of feels to me like one of those 80s movies that like people who love the 80s are like obligated to love or whatever. Totally. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of yeah, the impression yeah. I got.
1: It's the arc is so simple. Like, it's it's there's these two best buds right and one of them really has to go through a humbling experience and the whole movie is him just like being humbled but also still getting everything he ever wanted (laughs) so like It's this weird, like, he's still the hero, even though he needs, like, the thing he needs is to be taken down multiple pegs, but also he's the hero of the movie, so he still has to somehow, he has to go down a few pegs, but also win overall. (laughs) He still gets the girl, he still gets, uh, you know, the victory at the very end when they actually battle the Russians for, like, a second. He still wins the victory, so at the end, it's like, he gets to walk away with all the, like, I did all this cool stuff, I get to be Top Gun uh, trainer later in my career. I get to do whatever I want. I get the girl, but also I'm a better guy because I went through this emotional experience of eight weeks at Top Gun camp. Like I, it's so easy, and I think like cr- from a critical standpoint, like we've seen that story a thousand times. Dude comes in real cocky, gets knocked down a few pigs, still wins the day. Like that's a tale as old as time, a song as old as rhyme. But, like, (laughs) what I think, what, yeah, I think exactly right. The reason the audience score is so high is because it's quintessential 80s. You've got the blaring music, the, like, epicness of, and these are Navy pilots. Like, I'm from an Air Force family, and the amount of, like, making fun of Navy pilots that goes on in my family is high. (laughs) And I'm not a military person at all, so I don't want to bash the Navy, but, like, I would say that Navy pilots are lower on the the rung of uh pilots <laughs> that especially when if you if you're in the air force you would consider them lower on the rung but um you know there's still it's still so high octane so cool like so fast and furious like rolling through the with the jets and the I don't know like the action sequences though very little happens like most of it is training you know They don't even fight that often. There's like a fight at the beginning and a fight at the end, but most of it is them just like zipping around with their teachers, like learning how to fly. So I don't know. I think, I think it's the combo of those two things. Like the plot is so simple, which makes it fun for an audience because we don't have to pay attention to it too much. We get to be overwhelmed with the awesomeness of the movie. Um, But that also from a critical standpoint makes it a weak film. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So ironic that a movie about planes is more about, training
1: yeah it's all about like oh we're learning how to be better right <laughs> and yet man you get invested in those sequences there's so many sequences in the middle where you know the teacher is coming for him and are they gonna who's gonna win the dogfight or whatever you get very invested
0: yeah well, like it does have some really great shots like the sound design with like the jets like coming by and like also like the ocean shots like i'm a sucker for oceans oh, yeah. so like
1: those are pretty cool totally yeah it's gorgeous
0: also like you know danger zone is like super iconic to the point where like it's in the zeitgeist and like archer says it a lot he's always like danger zone
1: <laughs> we have a uh, like a shelf in my kitchen where like whenever you open the drawer sometimes stuff falls out of it and we call it the danger zone (laughs) like it's just yeah it's exactly it's part of the the zeitgeist it's the it became a a term we use
0: oh man i have to start using it that way for like something (laughs) applicable in my
1: life yeah (laughs) yeah it's i don't know i don't i annoy people by singing it every time Who are we? They're not
0: true fans. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and Kenny Loggins does two songs for the OG movie. He wasn't supposed to do Danger Zone. He does the be- be- beach volleyball scene. He does the beach volleyball song. And Toto was supposed to do Danger Zone, but Toto denied the offer. And but like late in the game, like in post already, and they were like, "Oh shoot, we need to like wrap this up." So they're like, "Kenny Loggins, you've already recorded one song. What if we?" Double it, make it two, and he was like, "Okay, how about Danger Zone?" <laughs> and they were like, "All right, cool, we love this." They wanted a song called Top Gun, but Kenny Loggins, I guess, in like ten minutes wrote Danger Zone. It was like, "Here's Danger Zone," and they were like, "Well, that sounds really cool. I guess we'll guess we'll take that." Like, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that
0: because that reminded me of something I read while like doing research on like the first movie, but um, found this thing that said Judas Priest were asked to. Do a song called "Reckless" uh, for the soundtrack. Oh, that would have
1: been but, wild!
0: But they decided not to because they thought the movie would flop. And ironically, like a couple years later, they did a cover of Johnny B. Good for a movie with that same name, like Johnny B. Good. I guess, mm-hmm.
1: but that itself was a flop. Wild. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess a lot of people, because if you if you pitch that to someone, you say, "Okay, well." It's this movie, and they're navy pilots, and they're all in school to become the best pilot. Like that sounds like the dumbest movie of all time. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I can imagine lots of people being like, "Well, no, this movie's never gonna succeed. I'm, I'm out. I'm out, man."
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the Toto thing, but they definitely did the soundtrack to Dune, which yeah is pretty wild because like. I don't know if their soundtrack really meshes with like the story very oh. well, but it's like just so cheesy, and you can't like look away or I guess turn your ear away oh. from it when like the guitar is like blaring or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's that makes that movie so eighties, like <laughs>
0: so grounded in the eighties.
1: They're doing a new one.
0: Yes, yeah, so, new dude. Yeah, I think that one's coming out in December. I've been like wondering whether or not i should try out the book i've heard it's pretty
1: dense though so oh man i we could derail this entire podcast and talk about dune for two hours but um (laughs) i will i'll say this dune is one of my favorite books if you are a sci-fi fan which i'm pretty sure you are uh it's an essential it is it is dense it's a it's very like what the 1960s envisioned the future. So there's like a lot of weird clunkiness. Like the most advanced technology they have is just like really eccentric ways of poisoning people. Um, but like it's a masterpiece and it is such a cool world. So if you're, if you're up for the, the, the denseness and the challenge of really diving deep into a book to any of the listeners, recommend Dune
0: 100%. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's like some unabridged audio somewhere probably so like maybe that would help with some of that
1: yeah there's definitely audiobooks i know audible has one uh with someone cool doing it and i forget who it is um it's like 36 hours or something (laughs) of course (laughs) but uh yeah if that's an easier way for you to to get into it by all means it's a fascinating book i love it Go to
0: AudibleFreeTrial.com. Use our cook. No, we don't do that here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dang, this podcast got backers. <laughs> no, oh, th- this
0: podcast is very low effort. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> well, not today. This episode is high octane. Top Gun 2, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: top Top notch. Talking about Top Gun.
1: Yeah. Oh, man.
0: So, yeah, um, true to form, uh, the movie industry did the the classic thing of making a sequel to something that's very beloved from, like, the 80s or so. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was actually watching this show called um, Spoilers of Kevin Smith yesterday.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. I know the show.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird watching now because, like, it's totally, like, Twenty twelve, like they'll say this movie is playing right now, and I'm like, no, it's not. That was eight years ago. But like, <laughs> yeah, they were talking about uh, Total Recall, and one of the people there, like one of the spoilers, was like, you know, Hollywood just did the classic thing of taking something from the '80s or '90s that people love because they're talking about Total Recall, and yeah, uh, he's like, and just putting that title on something new and like. Yeah, like, I feel like for the past decade or so, like, people have just been loving the 80s, so like, you know, we just had to have a Top Gun sequel, but like, what, what were your reactions to the trailer to Top Gun Maverick when it first, like, showed up on screens?
1: I was pumped. I... Because, here's the thing, like, it's different than, like, a an actually good movie. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> You know, like, it's not like it's Willy Wonka or, like, these movies that are, like, truly masterpieces. Like, Top Gun is goofy and campy, even if it's taking itself really seriously. Like, it is campy and silly. And I feel like that makes it easier to have sequels or remakes or whatever of it because it it doesn't have this, like, beloved masterpiece status. It may be beloved, but it doesn't have the masterpiece status. So it doesn't need the, like, it's not The Godfather, you know, where we're like, "Oh, <laughs> we can never remake this. It's so good." You know, it's it's like, "Oh, we could do whatever we want with Top Gun." Also like I just love that world. It would it would be so interesting to see where these people are. It's not like Top Gun 2 2 years later where it's like, "Ah, we really don't need this like like
0: over 30 years or something." So
1: And when you're looking at like military people like that's a that's a career so much will have changed for these people or wouldn't have and that's equally interesting like that's like kind of cool there's something neat about returning to a world so many years later um i think it does require like good storytelling and stuff in order for this to be any good it needed to do better than the first one in a plot like the plot needs to be more critically interesting and that kind of thing but like yeah, I was pumped just cuz I was like, "Oh, uh, yes, I would love to see Tom Cruise in a cockpit. Please. <laughs> like more of that." Um plus the cast when it was like all these people are in it. I was like, "This is a good cast, even if the movie is meh. Like There's some, there will be good performances in this." Those were my first initial thoughts.
0: Even if the movie en- ends up being Top Gun Maverick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a great fan of the title. I think Top Gun 2 Maverick's Boogaloo or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so this is how out of touch I was with like Top Gun, how very little I remembered from the first movie. Like when I saw the title at the in the trailer, like Top Gun Maverick, I thought that Maverick was like the name of like some jet or maybe like one of the ships that carries the jets <laughs> or whatever, but like <laughs> It took me so long to realize, oh, wait, Maverick was Tom Cruise in the first movie.
1: Is the dude. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, like, that trailer was, there's just something about it that felt kind of majestic, I guess. Like, the cinematography and the music and, like, just like, knowing so little about what was to come, and, like, I, I thought it was a very, um, it was very subtle, but still had, like, a sort of fanfare quality to it. Like, it felt like, yeah. oh, they're really trying to hone their craft and like, the making of this movie. I don't know, like, in terms of the story, but, like, in terms of the visual look and, like, the, I guess the music aesthetic, like, maybe they're, like, really raising the bar
1: yeah well it it looks like they my understanding is they used a lot of practical effects like they did in the first one you know so like whether it was a cockpit simulator or like actually like getting the guys up in planes to experience the movement and stuff that's my that they did a lot of that in the production to like they did in the first one to get people understanding like this is what it feels like to be a pilot (laughs) like you know so it looks good. It doesn't look like, even if they CGI it up, it doesn't look like it. At least from the trailer, it didn't look like that to me. I
0: guess we'll get into like the movie proper. So like. Totally. Yeah. So like the beginning, I was kind of iffy about like what was going on. Cause like, like the whole screen is black and it fades and you see like jets flying and it's like super quiet and like lots of us in the theater were like, wait, is the sound off or like what's going on? But it turns out it's like a creative choice showing the silent jets before you actually get to hear them like much later on. But like, well, I don't know. How'd you feel about that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely jarring. It The payoff is when the jets start, like when when they roar in and you're like, oh, okay, we were doing this buildup. Um, I don't know. It was kind of like a weird artsy choice, but I didn't, hate it. <laughs> like, I don't know. There was something about the delayed like seeing everything and being like, what's going on? And then and then when the jet kind of flies in over you, like, I don't know, maybe two and a half, three minutes in, and then the sound happens when that happens. There's something cool about that, like, sinking effect. You know? Uh I don't know. It was a an interesting start. Very different from the first movie where it like kicks in the door and guns blaring and starts with Danger Zone, you know, this had a very more chill like, approach which was maybe setting us up for the themes of the movie there, like the aging and the like the changes that have underwent the characters that we're seeing
0: Yeah, because like you said, like, this is like a whole career, like, the whole gap between the first movie and Maverick so, like, we get to see um, Maverick as, like, a flight instructor. And, like, we even get this brief montage of, like, highlights throughout his career. And they have, like, yeah. these, like, like, they CGI'd younger Tom Cruise in these moments. But they were, like, super brief. So it wasn't as, like, in focus as, like, the beginning of, like, Tron
1: Legacy or something like that. Sure. Yet. And Tom Cruise looks good. So even the CGI effect on him, like... Wasn't super necessary. I feel like he looks a lot younger than he is, and I don't know. It's cool too to like watch the career and all the like hoops he had to jump through to stay in his position. Because like uh, one of the weird dichotomies I with this movie for me is like he they're always like he's so good, he's so good, but we've never promoted him. Like (laughs) you know, like he's had to do so much work to avoid promotion so that he doesn't get stuck behind a desk, kind of like what happened to Iceman. But we'll get to that later um but like do he has to keep being maverick He has to keep being the wild card so they're like oh he's so good but we can't promote him because he's maverick you know <laughs> like, yeah he's too reckless we can't put him in this position he's too reckless so i think that's like like a funny like way of justifying like he's so good he steals the best except he's so reckless that we're gonna keep him as a teacher instead of promoting him to like uh admiral or something and making him sit behind a desk and make strategic decisions or whatever
0: yeah I mean it it kind of reminds me of Star Trek how like you know you see Captain Kirk in the original series and then later on in the movies you've seen he's like promoted and in his final movie Generations he tells Picard to never let them promote you to admiral because like you can do more difference on the bridge of a ship like the enterprise you know totally i had those parallels in mind while watching this
1: yeah it's a with anywhere you know like you're if you have any teacher friends you know like a lot of times really good teachers become like get promoted to principal and then they feel like they're less effective or whatever i think there's something cool about maverick knowing where he's needed most where his skills are best and choosing to like like not tank his career but like Hurt his upward advancement to stay where he is best
0: kind of like trying to strategically not get every answer correct on the test you know all the answers to right like try and make it like 90 or 80 something
1: yeah try to get the b plus (laughs) (laughs) but you know all the answers so like how many do you fail to to keep your average low or whatever Yeah, it's exactly what it is. I don't know, it's cool. It's funny, because it's like, that probably could never happen in an actual military setting, but... (laughs) Uh, Tom Cruise can dream, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this movie feels grounded, but I'm sure there are, like, some liberties here and there taken in terms of, like, how things work within this, like, military structure type of thing. Sure, sure. Maverick, um... Like, how different and similar did he feel to you?
1: He definitely is still Maverick. He's got all the quality. You know, he does the flyby. Like, one of the first things we see him do is do the flyby, even though he's not supposed to. Like, we see that in the first movie. We see that in this movie. He does it multiple times in both movies. Like, he's still Maverick. He's still kind of a punk. He's still, like, does what he wants. Uh He's still so, you know, uh cocksure. But like, he, I think he's definitely also really grown into the mentor figure. Like, I, I think his journey, like in the first movie, sets the scene for him in this movie where he really understands the dangers and the, the danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. But like, I think he's, he, he understands what's at stake and what's at risk for all these pilots. And I think, he's, like, in a place where he can still be the kind of cocky maverick, but he, like, has really come to terms with the, oh, you know, like, this is high stakes, this is important, you know, I like to goof around, I know you guys like to goof around, but, like, you know, also this is serious. So it's, like, kind of fun to see, like, uh, he's still cool, he's still got the motorcycle, you know, he's still doing fun tricks in the air, but he, like, also can mellow out and be the voice of reason and, like, understand the seriousness of something as the teacher in this. Like, he's still the main character, but he's grown into a mentor role. It's totally different.
0: Yeah, and speaking of, like, instructors, like, I know Charlie was a huge part of the first movie, and it takes a while for her to get so much as a mention, because, like, in this movie, um, Maverick is, like, with... Like, he's really into this single mother played by Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Her name is Penny Benjamin.
1: Yeah, she's in the first movie. Or, well, they mention her, uh, Maverick, because she's the Admiral's uh, daughter who Maverick had a little thing with. That's, like, all they mention about her is, like, Maverick had this thing with the Admiral's daughter. Uh, So it's cool that they, like, brought that to life. Uh, But, yeah, no Charlie, which is kind of a bummer.
0: Right, but it does feel realistic to me how like you know there'd be that love interest from like decades ago and like you know like some relationships do last that long like it's very it's very um i, I guess hard to do like to make that happen with it's very people. 80s
1: <laughs> it's a very 80s vibe right like guy gets the girl and they're together forever and so it is kind of a breath of fresh air that this takes a more realistic approach and was like, well, that like Charlie was Washington, like Pentagon bound, you know, there was no <laughs> way she was gonna stick around at Top Gun forever. She was a like impressive astrophysicist, <laughs> like, she had bigger and better things to do than stay at Top Gun because she liked Tom Cruise, yeah. Um,
0: and I think I was okay with like this change because, like, that whole like, instructor-student thing that they had in the first movie felt weird to me. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Well, and, like, I don't know, Jennifer Connelly is so good. She's so good in this role. She's so, like, brings such depth and, like, nuance to a movie that I feel like would be lacking that with more of just, like, well, Kelly McGillis is here and she was the 80s bombshell. I feel like they might have, um... Like shoved her more to the side if they tried to keep Charlie in the movie. So by bringing in this new role and by bringing heavy hitter Jennifer Connelly in, like, and tying it into like the Admiral and like like the old like they had this fling even before uh, uh, Maverick met Charlie. Like, it just brings so much nuance and uh, neat like specificity to this movie
0: continuity.
1: Yeah, like. I don't know. And it also it makes sense. Like, they're both just living there, single, sort of, like, had their bad lucks and romance. Like, of course they'd be drawn to each other. Just feels very realistic, which uh, it, it, the movie overall had, doesn't have the most realistic vibe. So that's cool to have that grounding, like, in it.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of funny that, like, they're the ones who are together. Because, like, I think Jennifer Connelly and I think her character from Labyrinth and Tom Cruise also starred in a different fantasy movie in the eighties called Legend,
1: which I oh, love Legend, <laughs> <laughs> so bad and but so bad. <laughs> oh, I
0: don't. That's think my it's theme for eighties movies.
1: <laughs> oh man, it's so con- I guess it's it gets pitched as a kids movie and it's just not. And maybe that's why I saw it when I was like six and was just <laughs> terrified out of my mind.
0: Which which version? have you seen because there's the UK version with the um, Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack yes and then there's an extended director's cut version of that but like the US theatrical version had the Tangerine Dream soundtrack which is my preference yes.
1: oh really I like the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack it feels Lord's of, Lord of the Ringsy to me <laughs> uh, so maybe that's my own personal bias. I think the the 80s soundtrack is so cool the Tangerine Dream like 80s vibe is so great and that's the movie i've seen the most um but most recently i watched the director's cut so the jerry goldsmith soundtrack and really liked it was uh a fan
0: yeah like i think my bias toward the tangerine dream soundtrack is partially due to my favorite singer john anderson being on it (laughs) like
1: oh totally so
0: like naturally like you know, he sings a song loved by the sun, which is real good. And um,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, like I don't see Legend as the kids movie because it feels to me more like one of those mythic fairy tale type of things where like the yeah. like, dark things happen. But like I could imagine like the tale of Legend getting watered down for kids, you
1: know? Sure. I mean, there's unicorns, like, <laughs> like, you know, that, like, makes it, I don't know. I think just, like, bad advertising, like, oh, a fantasy movie. My six-year-old loves fantasy movies. Let me put this in. Oh, there's a literal devil, man, <laughs> like, <laughs> who scared my kid for the rest of his life. <laughs> like,
0: You know, recently, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance was nominated yeah. for, like, Outstanding Children's Program, and it's like, are you because sure it's puppets
1: is... like because we can't have adult puppet content i guess <laughs> What? <Well, laughs>
0: like you watch the like soul draining and like and like characters dying and like these creatures with their mouths that are sunshine it's like are you sure this is a children's program yeah
1: it's dark even the og movie's dark yeah like yeah
0: but uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, we also get this other tie to the first film in the form of Rooster, you know, Goose's son. And here he's played by Miles Teller. What do you think yeah. of the casting choice?
1: I like Miles Teller. It is funny when they, like, it, like from the minute I saw him in the trailer, he grew the little mustache. And I was like, oh, he looks like Anthony Edwards, who played Goose. He looks just like uh, the kid of that character. You know, like they did a good job matching him in vibe. Like, I was like, oh, immediately I know who this is. This is his kid. Which, like, and the way he looks so similar, I was like, oh, this is going to be a huge plot point for Maverick to be teaching Goose's kid and have to deal with, like, the feelings of guilt that he sort of lets go at the end of the first movie, but, like, are always going to be with him and, like, now have to really hit heavy. Plus, I think Miles Teller did a good job. I think. He's like, um, you know, Whiplash was one of my favorite movies, and I feel like Miles Teller is so good in that. And like, he's done some bad stuff, you know, Fantastic Four, but whatever. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, oh god, so bad. But I feel like Miles Teller is is uh, like really well suited for this role. He, you know, uh, the young gun who like my dad was in the Top Gun program, and I gotta, I gotta be that. You know, like he's he's fitting for that, um, and helps like round out this like ensemble he's he's the young blood for the ensemble you know because there's also ed harrison here uh which so it's a lot of like older heavy hitting actors and then you've got a younger heavy hitter i i feel like uh so i really like miles teller i think he does a great job um and i'm invested in his story i'm invested in his his need for speed you know his yeah. <laughs> uh his need to prove himself against the the ghost of his dad who he basically never knew and the way that he unites with Maverick as a mentor and father figure, I think, is is like that perfect circle of life type story. It's like, yes, like that makes sense. The two dudes who were robbed of their best friend or their dad would, of course, be on similar pages. And uh, uh, despite initial tension because of Tom Cruise's like involvement in Goose's death, I think uh, Rooster comes around.
0: I also loved Miles Teller in Whiplash, you know, like how furious he was in different moments of that movie and the payoff yeah. at the end is so good. And it, you get to see a bit more of like him doing some musical stuff in Top Gun Maverick. Like there's that scene with the piano where like he's like playing like a piano cover of Sorry, Not Sorry. and and, like maverick walks in and it gives him like this flashback of like you know that scene in the first movie where like rooster as a kid is in the room and goose is still there and like it's you get like this silent flashback of them playing the song they played in that movie and it's like totally you could see the weight in maverick's eyes and like they have this discussion like rooster is like why didn't you ever visit after my dad died? And yeah, like,
1: where were you, man?
0: Yeah, and it's like, it's understandable that, like, it might hurt so much for Maverick to, like, have to be reminded of that tragedy, like, constantly. But it feels, but I feel like it brings more Realism to like, if you go and rewatch the first movie and you're like, okay, then not everything is resolved. Like, this is something I'll stick with Maverick for a while, and it's like still haunts him to this day. So I thought yeah. that was really grounding.
1: Yeah. It's a cool way to bring it back in without it being uh Godfather 3 esque, where like it, Michael is still just like, oh, oh, I'm still torn up about this. Like, it was a cool way to have the constant touchstone of rooster being like the constant reminder for maverick not just like maverick doesn't just sit around all mopey all day being like oh goose i'm still glum it's like yeah he's going through that process that grieving process will never end for him but then he gets constantly bombarded with rooster not necessarily in a bad way but just like he's around rooster all the time and that's like hitting him hard so i liked that a lot and we get a surprise cameo from meg ryan uh in the scene where uh maverick goes to rooster's house yeah that that was really
0: that was a real trip down memory lane and like the discussion that they have and like memories of goose like we even get these like little anecdotes of like you know they talk about like stories passed down by goose's family about what he would do as a kid like you know yeah like catching butterflies with the net or whatever and like the butterflies inspiring him to like want to fly
1: someday yeah it's cool it was a cool I love scenes like that where you get one character just in this one scene you know and then that's it like that we saw Meg Ryan for maybe three minutes of the movie like that was it but it was such a nice just like oh cool Because that's how it would really be. Like, that relationship wouldn't end in real life. You know, they would continue to mourn together and stuff, I feel. So that was cool to see that touched upon again. Yeah,
0: because they talk about how, like, even though um, Maverick didn't visit, like, he would call her every now and then and, like, catch each other up. And I guess it's more painful for him to look at Rooster growing up because, like as he gets older he looks more and more like his dad and like you know oh, yeah and and so like makes it even more painful seeing like the spitting image of his best friend so i thought that was very understandable totally but yeah like even though that Meg Ryan cameo was brief it was very like she had a presence and she felt like the same character but like with some growth internally
1: yeah, well, and like, and she had remarried and like, and like, it was very like, yes, this feels like a normal, like, they gave this character some closure for us as the viewer. Like, okay, cool. We know what happened to her after. And Goose is still like an important part of her life and everyone's life. Um, But like, also she like, you know, continued to go through that process. And that was cool. And like, and it was just cool to see her back in that character. You know, she has <laughs> such a such a fun, like spunky, silly vibe in the first movie. To, to see her now as an older woman, like return to that personality was very fun, and I liked that a lot.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was really funny when they revealed <laughs> that the person she remarried was played by Tom Hanks, because it's <laughs> like that classic Tom Hanks Meg Ryan thing.
1: Yeah, like. Oh, so good. Jen, just to have him like walk through the scene basically for like a second. Uh, What a like, what a like goofy cameo. What an 80s move to throw (laughs) into this 2020 movie, you know, like, ah, loved it.
0: Yeah. And we get a brief interaction between Rooster and his stepdad, like toward the end of that scene. And even though it's not a lot, I do like how it's clear that like, he and his stepdad don't have this antagonistic relationship. Cause I feel like it's very easy for some movies to fall into, to like making the step parent like a bad person or whatever. Totally. Like when I watched the first Ant-Man movie, I was, it felt refreshing to see that like, um, the girl's stepdad like genuinely cared about her,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's nice. Also, like that he, like it's cool that Rooster Rooster's kind of journey in the movie is like is learning from each of his three father figures so whether that's Goose who he never knew in real life but certainly is affecting him in his life his stepdad uh who like was a dad to him and a good one and Maverick who like has the connection to his real dad and also is his mentor at the at the school and for the missions but like is also stepping into that mentor father figure role um it's cool to watch as all of these are good good father influences on rooster and good uh masculine influences you know and there's not a lot of uh like bad energy amongst the three of them
0: yeah and we also see rooster's interactions with the other like pilot trainees uh mavericks instructing like there's hangman who's played by glenn powell and yeah bob who's played by lewis pullman um and a couple others but yeah we see these brief interactions with them and like they don't really have big character arcs but they do provide a good soundboard for rooster when he's like going through his problems so like, i feel like this really is as much a rooster movie as it is a
1: maverick movie so like that totally matters more and Rooster has the opposite problem that Maverick does. Maverick is too cocky, whereas Rooster is lacking in that confidence. And, like, what Maverick is really bringing to the table for him is, like, you can do this. Be assured of yourself. So when Rooster eventually does the flyby, you know, uh, at the tower, even though he's not supposed to, it's, like, a huge step for him because he's, like, growing into the, like, I can be a Maverick-esque pilot. You know, I can be this good pilot. Um like you know he has Maverick and Rooster have equal and opposite uh journeys that intersect in the middle <laughs> like, you know <laughs> one of them has to become more, they have to both come become more like the other one more assured of himself or more cautious and uh considerate and Maverick has always been on that journey um but Rooster's just starting his of becoming more like confident in himself so it's kind of cool to watch the intersection there
0: Yeah, and we also uh, see that in Rooster's room, he has, like, a Star Trek Into Darkness poster,
1: which I guess
0: Paramount really wants to advertise one of their more controversial Star Trek films.
1: (laughs) Yes, really plug it in there.
0: (laughs) But, um, But I just thought of this right now, but, like, Rooster's path is very similar to, like, going back to Star Trek again, like, it's very similar to Captain Kirk and those newer movies like he lost his dad as a baby in that 2009 reboot movie and like he goes mm-hmm. on the path that his
1: dad goes so that's yeah, pretty wild to those parallels yeah that's interesting and then to have the poster in there i wonder if they're trying to tell us something it's a new cinematic universe involving star trek and <laughs> <Top Gun. laughs>
0: like, like this top gun thing ends up becoming starfleet in the future <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rooster freezes himself and then uh it's part of Starfleet. <laughs> oh man. Yeah.
0: Rooster also has the habit of waking up really early, which I guess is why he has that nickname. Like you get this like really gorgeous shot of like the sunrise in the background, and it's like a profile oh, yeah. shot and it's like some of the cinematography in this movie is just beautiful.
1: Yeah, well when we're back in Marloma, like we're back in gorgeous California coast like seeing the the same vibe, even though there's like a little bit of difference, um, obviously because 30 years have passed, but we see like the same town, the same vibe, this like gorgeous California area um, for at least like a good chunk of the movie while Rooster's doing the training before they, before they fly off on the mission.
0: Right. I mean, it's not like the difference between Hill Valley and like back to the future in 1985 and hill valley in futuristic
1: 2015 (laughs) sure (laughs) it's not like that but it's uh yeah i don't know it's cool it's uh gorgeously uh, cinematographed i don't know how to make (laughs) that word a verb gorgeously designed and executed in the in the the shots it feels very similar to the first movie you know there's so many cool there's that cool shot of like Tom Cruise on the motorcycle zipping through the sunset with Jennifer Connelly on the back. There's just like so many neat shots that are so akin to the previous film. You know, them walking away from the planes matches so many of the times that they did that in the first film. Like the the DP and the the crew on this film really used inspiration from that first film to get those shots. Yeah, to to match so that it it doesn't just feel like a sequel, but it feels like a a continuation of the world that's already been set up.
0: Yeah. I feel like some movies try to retrace certain shots like exactly, but for some reason they didn't feel too overt to me in this. I don't know if it's because I haven't seen the first movie as many times or if it's just like subtle enough to the point where it works. Uh
1: yeah, I felt like it was I mean there were definitely like there's some iconic shots in Top Gun that I was like, okay, this is that shot. They're doing the same thing. It was subtle enough that it worked for me. Uh because like like all the romance, the steamy romance scenes between uh Maverick and Penny are are very similar to the steamy romance scenes between Maverick and Charlie. The lighting is the same. The like wind blowing through the curtains is the same. The way they kiss is so similar. But it like, it didn't feel like, oh, we're just redoing that scene. It felt different. It felt similar, but different. So I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, it does feel like a different relationship. Like, it doesn't feel exactly the same. It's just that some of the visual stuff kind of goes through some of the same motions. But yeah, definitely feels diff like it's kind of like if you have a burger it's not gonna always taste exactly the same
1: you know sure totally <laughs> yeah but it's still a burger that was, and that's that's a weird analogy still a top like, gun yeah. movie <laughs> you know yeah but i get it i mean i get exactly where you're coming from this is still a top gun movie it's gonna feel like a top gun movie even if the uh even if everything's a little bit different so also what
0: would you think of how ice man was depicted in this one
1: I have been waiting for this question. Um well so because Val Kilmer, like, battled throat cancer like three or four years ago and it totally altered his voice. Um which you can definitely hear, like he's got a very Val Kilmer used to have a very deep, sort of, masculine voice, and now his voice is a lot higher and raspier. Um but I, I think they did a good job. Like, obviously Iceman being the stellar pilot that he was, got did the exact thing we talked about at the beginning that Tom Cruise avoided having happened. Iceman got promoted, promoted, promoted. Now he's like some high up Admiral um, running, you know, running so many things, but it's really cool. And like, obviously that's weighed on him and aged him. I think that of they kind of used Kilmer's physical and vocal shifts because of his battle with throat cancer. Like, as as a way to to show the like kind of the stress that iceman is now under and like the way that that's changed for him like his whole life has totally changed but it was cool to watch the like he had the uh, similar to like rooster and tom cruise having equal and opposite journeys that intersect in the middle like iceman and maverick have equal and opposite journeys that also intersect in the middle whereas like they're both these amazing stellar pilots and what that meant for Maverick was he had to, he wanted to teach and teach those skills to the future pilots but he had to keep avoiding the bureaucratic red tape to stay where he was whereas Iceman went into the bureaucratic vibe and is now totally like running the navy <laughs> like i think it's cool i think he was used sparingly and i think that was what we needed i think if uh you know he's in those two scenes he's in the one where he's where Maverick goes to visit him and talk about Rooster and then the one at the end when they're on the mission like i think that's all we needed of iceman like top gun is and always will be maverick's story and there's like an alternate universe where there's a top gun that is iceman's story and like (laughs) you know like like where he's like where like maverick is just a jerk and you see why iceman hates him the whole time um but like uh you know the movie makes it very clear the, the original and this one makes it very clear that like maverick despite his flaws is the hero we're rooting for and so Iceman, who has like all these different flaws and none of the same flaws is a different hero and so it's cool that that gets heavily reflected in the way that their careers took off
0: yeah like you can see the different trajectories that they took but like they still feel like the same characters. It's just that they've gone through all this change. Um, yeah. it's also like there are a few moments where it was hard for me not to think of X Men because you know Iceman and like there's also Oh this, sure. There's also this other trainee uh played by Monica Bar-, Bar-, Bar Her her nickname was Phoenix and that naturally makes me think of the Phoenix saga.
1: So Sure. Sure sure sure. Well, and and Iceman does kind of have a bit of a Professor X vibe. Like he, like he pretty much all his scenes, he's just like sitting at a desk or like kind of up and pacing. He's like very, he's become very much the like stationary hub for all of the rest of the characters to go out and be the X, you know, the Wolverine, the Cyclops, the Storm, going out and doing the thing. Where he sort of is hanging back and doing strategy. Uh, he kind of does have a little bit of that Professor X vibe, you
0: know? Yeah, and like like he has these like facial expressions where it's like it seems like he's trying to read someone's mind, like even if he can't literally do that, like yeah, I I definitely see what you mean.
1: Yeah, and he's got like Iceman always had like the the he he was cocky too, but he had a little more of the patience, you know, like in the scene in the in the original movie when Goose dies there's Iceman is really trying to get the shot he's like really focused in honed in and I like that that carries over into this like he really there's a lot of that like intense focus and intense stare and he's got a lot slower pace than Maverick like that was the biggest thing I noticed and maybe a change from the original movie but he he's definitely slowed down like Maverick is still go 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 yeah he may have mellowed but he's still Maverick he's still teaching the uh Instructors, he gets in a plane every week and flies around. You know, like this is what he does. Whereas Iceman has had to take, had to sit and think and make strategic decisions, and has gotten the time to do that and the the need to do that. Right, like the pilot in the first movie, which it gets echoed when he's teaching in the second movie. He talks about how when you're up there, you you don't really get a chance to think. You you have a couple seconds, then you got to do it; otherwise, you're dead. Whereas Iceman now has all the time to think. And needs to, because he has to make decisions that aren't split decisions. He has to make very focused decisions. Um, so I like that, that, that change in pace and the way he's so slow and methodical and that bothers Maverick. But of course, they're still good friends from, you know, 40 years ago. So <laughs> that's a long friendship. I mean, you know, that's my longest friendship is 10 years. So 40 years is, that's a trek. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> was that Trek in, an intentional reference? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, but we'll say it was to make me look good. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, obviously there's, like, friction between Rooster and Maverick, and they, like, talk through it as we, like, see, like, these training sequences of, like, him and the other, like, trainees. And, for much of the movie they keep the specialized mission that they're being trained for a secret like to the audience
1: at least yeah mhm which which is kind of nice like you know it's there you know that that's what they're working on but it also feels a little realistic i feel like like top secret stuff like that isn't like it comes in stages right like you don't get all the info right at once like this is what's going to happen so it's that for us to also be in the same place as the cadets and even maverick to an extent not knowing exactly all the things that are going to happen right away it it, that feels cool and keeps us invested i think i think it fixes a little bit of the plot from the first one which is just like dudes training it's like okay there's a mystery here that we as the audience are trying to solve which i think uh also results in a higher critical score for this movie
0: i think what the interesting things about this movie is like the mystery that was surrounding it like we weren't sure like every little thing that was gonna happen and this mission was like no exception but i I don't know did this mission feel like a good payoff for like after all the mystery they were building up
1: toward it (gasps) it's so clunky that it's the russians again it's so (laughs) so predictable and so like silly america like where we're like oh it's the russians are still bad like i don't know it feels so like oh okay um i i don't know it feels in a way that the first movie like the the ending is kind of anticlimactic like there's like these six russian planes that sort of are flying too close to uh american territory so they go scare them away and they do shoot four of them out of the sky but like it kind of feels, it doesn't have the, it has a little bit of intensity because it's the longest fight and it's the most like intense and Iceman and Maverick are working together in that one. But it like, seems like, oh, okay, they like win and that dogfight was over and like the, when you sit back and look at it, the stakes are pretty low and it feels so similar in this. It's like they trained for this whole thing and then they're just doing like a kind of a stealth plane flyover of russian territory like it, like in the you know like and it's like a dogfight and it is interesting and like there it's the it's the it's the finale of the movie you know but it like at the end of the day it's like i don't know as with anything like all encompassing like the the struggle between two nations without an all-out war there's it's so hard to have a winner like because it's like we may have Oh, we, we got what we came for in this mission, except in the grand scheme of things, it's like, okay. It's not like Lord of the Rings where like Mordor falls into the earth and Sauron explodes. It's like, (laughs) you know, where it's like, okay, cool. Like they won, they freaking won. And that's the end of the story. (laughs) You know, it's like, cool. We got this little small victory. Yeah. (laughs) They like try to build it up with the same intensity, but it's not the same. You know, (laughs) like, um, so like it's, it's a bit of a letdown, but it also is like, it's the only way, like, you can't have Tom Cruise and, and Miles Teller fly in there and just blow the Russians to hell, you know, like that would equally not make any sense. So it's, I think it's what they can get away with realistically while still having a win. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of cheesy and like, of course, it's the Russians and we're doing this stealth mission and okay, like, I don't know, it's a bit of a letdown.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do update the movie a little bit. Like, they try to make it more, like, um, they try to make it politically correct to the point where, like, it doesn't feel too much, like, old attitudes, but it still feels like too much of a throwback to, like, you, you know, like, it's like, wait, what year does this movie take place in now? Like, did they time travel or something? Like, what's going
1: on? Yeah, or like, did the, like, are we just, is there like this weird vibe in the Top Gun movies where the Cold War just has never really stopped? Like, what is the, what is the deal? I don't know. It's fun. I think it's the only way to end the movie. Like, like because if you didn't have that sequence, it would be totally worthless and boring. So it, it's nice that they built to something. But also, like I don't know. The, I think the fact that they kept it a secret for so long. Like the first movie starts. With a dogfight between the Russians, they go to training, and then they come back to a dogfight between the Russians. And this movie, it's like, oh, there's a secret mission. And when it's finally revealed, it's like, oh, and it's another dogfight with the Russians. Okay. Like, I don't
0: know. I don't know. Like, the, like the sequence did look really cool, I'll admit. But I just feel like they could have been more creative with, like, the circumstances surrounding it. Like, it could have been, like, something else. And, like, it didn't really live up to, like, some mystery that was being built up. I don't know what I was expecting, honestly.
1: They played it very safe. It felt like a very safe choice.
0: Yeah, it it feels too like, been there, done that. But, um, like, some of the discourse surrounding this, uh, if I've been reading... Like online on like Reddit and stuff is like people being like, well, I mean the movie is more about the Rooster and Maverick relationship, so that sequence toward the end doesn't really matter
1: that much. But then you have yeah, it's just a way for them to work together, and with Ice Man kind of being the Admiral calling the shots, like it it gets all of the characters with all the the differing viewpoints on how to be Top Gun (laughs) (laughs) all together in one position, having to do. mission so from the yes I agree with that point from the story standpoint it totally is is the climax from a action movie standpoint it's a weak climax
0: (laughs) right I agree but we do get this heart to heart between Rooster and Maverick at the end you know bringing closure to the whole thing which I think is nice at least like it would felt really anticlimactic if they just like went to credits right after that like yeah.
1: sequence uh but it's nice that they come back home and they're able to kind of i mean they cuz they have that kind of fight right before the mission about like what they should do and who should be calling the shots on that and like whose strategy's best and so it's nice that they end up working together and bringing that out and being like we have two very different viewpoints but i see the value in what you bring to the table similar to the way Uh, Maverick and Iceman sort of have the same vibe at the end of the first movie, you know, like, you can be my wingman anytime, you know, like, they even repeat that line, it's like, okay, it's cheesy, but it's like, yeah, like, cool.
0: I do think there was a good payoff, like, at the very end, when, like, they go up in the air again and you finally get Danger Zone blaring (laughs) through the
1: speakers.
0: It's like that callback to, like, the original. Right. I also really liked the like, the score overall. Like, it just made the movie feel like it had matured a bit more from, like, the original, you know?
1: Yeah, it's fun. Like, I'm glad they threw in... a Like, I, I love that they threw in Danger Zone and uh, uh, Take My Breath Away and obviously the Top Gun theme. Um, like, I love that they threw those songs back in, like, uh, for parts of the movie that made sense. Um, but it was cool to have a more... Uh, a, a nice combo of score and uh, 80s music and more modern music and like some cool um, scoring with like the Top Gun theme that was like less electric guitar and a little slowed down and mellower like there was some neat shifts in the music that I think grounded the, the, grounded the movie and and kept it in the vibe that it was going for this like definite time has passed and things have changed vibe.
0: Yeah. So like hats off to Hans Zimmer and Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah. They did a good job on this. Yeah. All right. So I guess with that, we can go into final thoughts. So, Sure. So what are your final thoughts on Top Gun Maverick and score out of 10?
1: For me, I feel like it is a everything you could want from a follow-up sequel this the with this much time in between it totally grasps the personalities of all the characters the journey that they've gone through in the time that we haven't seen in the time from the first movie to now the relationships that were formed in that movie are still intact still strong have grown over the 30 some odd years that they've uh that we haven't as an audience seen um and we see that executed well by the actors and by the style of filmmaking to really just capture the essence of like old wounds will still be there forever um but also like things change i think they they capture that so well in plot in cinematography in the way that the story is told in the way that the characters have grown um there's still some of the old stuff that they're hanging on to, but they've also changed so much. So, for me, uh, I give it a 9 out of 10. It's pretty solid. All right,
0: so 9 out of 10 from you. I agree with some of those sentiments. Like it feels like some of the classic stuff is there, but there's also more newness to it. Like I feel like mm-hmm. some eighties sequels or revivals kind of fall into this trap of doing some of the same things over again to the point where it feels ham fisted and there was a little bit of that with like the mission at the end. So totally. Uh so some points off because of that. But I think overall, like the the main draw for me was the personal relationship, like the whole like Maverick and Rooster like trying to talk through like the stuff they're still going through, like the aftermath of what happened with Goose in the first movie and trying to like grow still, even after all these years, which feels very realistic, very grounded. Um And like just the movie overall looks gorgeous, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, it's beautiful.
0: So I don't know if this will be a controversial opinion, but
1: I think this movie won up the first one. I yes. It will it what it the old one has the nostalgia going for it, but I would say if you looked at them purely as two films, this is a better executed film. Yeah, so
0: I think I'd give Top Gun Maverick an 8.5 out of 10.
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: All right. So with that uh thanks again for joining me on this Vinny. Do you have anything you'd <laughs> yeah. like to plug?
1: Sure. Um I uh I play with Comedy Sports. Um we're doing a lot of digital shows right now, so even I'm in Chicago, so even if you're not in Chicago, you can tune in. Uh like the page on Facebook, it's CSZ Chicago. It's a uh, competitive team improv, which you may be familiar with. Um but uh we do shows every Friday, Saturday night, we do four shows a weekend. So if you're interested in seeing some free live or live uh live on screen (laughs) uh comedy that's made up on the spot please uh check us out otherwise you know not doing too much (laughs) watching movies
0: (laughs) (laughs) sounds very cool and very creative yeah like yeah comedy is just great all around you know (laughs) yeah
1: it's definitely a, a bright light when you're having a tough day so
0: yeah, as for my plugs, uh, you can find me at Steven Schindler on Instagram and Twitter, Steven Schindler Storytelling on Facebook. You can find my fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons Like Rain*, which is on Amazon. More info on that at stevenschinder.com. I'm also helping out a bit with memes and articles over at Culture Slate. Um, so, yeah, you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh dot We also have a Twitch and a YouTube, I believe. I'll like link those in the show notes. Um, cool. But yeah, I finally I finally remembered to plug Culture Slate in one of these. I kept forgetting, <laughs> kept forgetting <laughs> in the other episodes. And if you'd like to email the podcast, you can do so by writing to. Delayed replay podcast at gmail dot com. Let us know what you think of our coverage or any of the movies and whatnot that we've talked about, and we may read your thoughts on the show.
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, be the first because there haven't been any yet.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so
1: be the first. <laughs> yeah, be the
0: top Fan like the top gun logo but with fan replacing gun. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode will be a review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Without further delay, have a good day. <laughs> hmm. No mention of some of the characters like Fanboy in the review. Still, I'm sure
1: Steven will have his uses. Get ready, Steven, because you are about to get integrated into the danger
0: zone.